0: You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by FitzDares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings.
1: Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of February, my penultimate day, actually, with you this week before Nick returns at the end of the week. um, We'll be hearing from Charlie Deutsch uh, shortly, who goes out in search of his first-ever Grade 1 with Presses run in the Scilly Isles this weekend at Sandown. We'll have a bit of Dublin Racing Festival chat as well. Um, That with Jay Mangan, who is with me, broadcaster and journalist Jay Mangan. Um, To discuss initially, Jane amongst plenty of news stories that have emerged over the last 24 hours or so that um, in the Racing Post you can read an exclusive by Peter Scargill where an agent is accused of fraud having collected training fees for a dead horse from the syndicate which really begs the question with uh, this news and um, other examples of people seemingly taking advantage of syndicates in the last couple of years or so. Are we at a stage now, Jane, where syndicates should be better regulated?
2: Well, the easy answer is, of course, yes. I, I After the 2019 somewhat scandal of the Supreme Racing Syndicate, the syndicate that owned Kemboy and many more good horses with Willie Mullins, I was under the illusion that there was a step up in regulation for syndicates. Now, of course, this is a different jurisdiction. This is Ireland. Back in 2019, there was um, financial irregularities and some horses were even oversubscribed when it came to their ownership. This is a different case. This is, of course, France. And you're dealing with somebody who considers themselves an agent, but that's just a fancy word for middleman here between the trainer and the owners collecting money for horses, for a horse that was actually fatally injured so of course there could be a ramp up in in regulation tom but i'm somewhat sympathetic towards the regulator it would be a very difficult thing to do what what can they do
1: well charlie liverton is the chief executive of the racehorse owners association and and joins me now and charlie we're asking this morning uh, whether or not syndicates should be better regulated and um uh, as jay mangan says well well what what can be done what can they do charlie what's your take
0: Thanks, Tom. I think there are a number of things that that, that racing can do to help syndicates and those um, investing in them. Firstly, I think that there's always room to improve the way in which syndicates and syndicate managers are licensed and regulated. And through the ownership strategy piece of work, when working closely with the BHA and the implementation of a new code of conduct, we very much try to do that. And I think progress has been made. Having said that, there's, there's always more that you can do and there's always more that you should do and, and that, that work continues. I think the other important point to make is is that those people that are looking to invest in syndicates um, should also be, be asking the right questions of, of the syndicate manager that they're investing in. British Racing's really lucky. We've, we've got some fantastic syndicate managers up and down the country flat and national hunt at all levels, there is huge opportunity for people to get involved in, in racehorse ownership and join syndicates with with great examples of, of, of experiences both on and off the race course. Um, and it's a case of just making sure that that if you are considering joining British Racing as an owner, um then you you try and seek out um those managers
1: um, that, that 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 can support you the best. How frustrating is it, from, from your point of view, from a Raceforce owners' association point of view, um, you know, as someone who is quite rightly very positive uh, about syndicates and, and the benefits they can offer to people, um, that in recent times it feels there are more fires to be putting out, and uh, and and there's there's more people giving syndicates a bad name. How frustrating is that?
0: It's really frustrating. Um, I don't know about more fires to be put out in terms of maybe they are reaching the public domain more, but I don't think there's necessarily an uplift um, in the number of of, of mal- areas, you know, malpractice, if mm-hmm. you like. Um, as I say, I think we've actually seen syndicate managers get better and better and better at managing syndicates. Both the experiences, the transparency, um, the use of technology—I I think there's been huge improvements in this space. So yes, your story, such as the one that broke last night, always makes your heart sink and you feel desperately sorry for those individuals that that, that have lost their money seemingly. Um, but but I but whilst whilst it's, it's really frustrating, we, we we mustn't forget that as I say, there are the vast majority of syndicate commanders do a
1: fantastic job. Well, one thing that struck me about this story, Charlie, is that um, modern technology, if you like, it feels as though, um, you know, things like this shouldn't really be allowed to happen. But I suppose in some ways, one of the biggest issues here was that that the old school way of picking up the phone and speaking to the trainer didn't really happen. And that is largely because videos can be shared so, so, so readily across the internet, which I think initially makes people feel... Safer and and that they can trust the people sending it to them, whereas here they couldn't.
0: I think that's right, Tom. And as an industry, technology is is not an area that we've invested enough time um, or money in, to be honest with you. We we, we lag behind many other sports in this space. Um, And the use of technology, the collection of data and sharing of data um, is absolutely critical, to the, to the expansion of syndicates and syndication in this country, as well as sole owners, I should add. Um, we, we, we are trying to work in this space at the moment. And there's a big data project going on centrally to try and understand what data we do hold, where it's collected um, and how it could be shared and should be shared. Um, and the focus is very much on improving this side of the sport because because data is is the new gold in in the sports world, and the more data you collect and, and the more easily accessible it is um, to investors and by investors I don't just mean those investing in the race, I mean I mean punters, I mean racegoers, I mean viewers. Um, we 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 all want data um, to understand and engage with with our sport better. And, it, and as I say, it's a really critical part of, of, of some industry work that's happening at the moment.
1: Well, Sam Hoskins is a, a founder and a manager of some very successful uh, racing syndicates where, um, Sam, as far as I know, um, syndicate members are, are very happy with, with everything. What, what's your reaction to this news?
3: Oh, it's, it's sad, Tom. It, it's really sad because um, it, it sort of casts a, I, I think possibly syndication might be sort of tarred with the same brush. And, and uh, I mean, it, it, does, it does show that... Uh, um, there can be those out there that perhaps are, don't budget correctly or perhaps aren't as transparent as they could be and look I, I don't know the, the full story I've only read what I've read in the
4: racing post this morning but it, it is sad and um, I think it, it just says so important that it's kind
3: of consumers must be must know what they're getting in for and ask the right questions when they get involved and, and also from a, a syndicate manager perspective is to to understand the full extent of, of finances with training fees and that the costs of training horses are only going up. They're very expensive as they are. If you've got to budget correctly and fine. You might want to put make your costs cheaper to seem cheaper to compete with other syndicates. But the thing is, is it's better to cater for the worst case scenario um, and then and then get a rebate at the end and, and charge your fees up front to make sure everyone's paid up front, et cetera. And God forbid, and if, if there
1: is bad news, um, God forbid, then it is to be transparent and open with the members. Are we at, at a point where you feel that, um, you know, something legally may need to change, be it, you know, some kind of fit and proper person's test if you want to be a, an agent? Or, or is that just too difficult,
5: do you think? Well, I, I think so, yeah. I know, and obviously this question is, is about the agency side, yeah.
3: I, I think so, yeah. I, I think... Um, I think the agents should be licensed. And I think um, I mean it is tricky in terms of an auction ring because anyone can bid. I'm not a, I don't consider myself a plastic agent. I buy horses, but to be fair, mostly on behalf of, well, for the syndicates as well, I suppose, um, but for for, um, for myself. Um, and I think syndicators should be um, licensed as well um, because I think it's it's important that everyone knows if you're setting up a, a shared ownership group that you know what you're, you understand the finances involved, and everyone that's investing or sort of taking a share knows what they're involved. And I think as an agent, you need to know that we're getting involved with someone who's, I mean, it the Federation of Bloodstock Agents. So you need to be anyone buying a horse should buy buy a horse for an agent who's, who's a member of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents. And we do have the Racial Syndicates Association, which again you hope that if someone's going to join in, it, it it promotes the BHA Code of Conduct for that perspective. So. There are things out there that maybe strengthening should, is, should be done and people should, you've got to ask the right questions and, and get the right answers because
1: transparency and, and proper practice is, is absolutely crucial. Uh, Jane, other news. In the trial of the veterinarian, Dr Seth Fishman, it's being held in a, a district court in the US in Manhattan. Um, in some, some wiretapes that were played at the, the hearing, The name of Sheikh Mohammed, the ruler of Dubai, has come up. uh, And in particular, his um, Dubai Equine Hospital being linked with Dr. Seth Fishman. Just tell us exactly what we know here, Jane.
2: On the wiretap that was recorded in 2019 uh, between Florida harness trainer Adrian Hall and Fishman. uh, Adrian Hall actually testified on Thursday that Fishman had put her on a program of his PEDs That she administered to her horses. Um, Hall actually agreed to testify in exchange for a non prosecution agreement. So, a transcript of the wiretap was obtained on Monday and begins with Fishman telling Hall that his program is, quote, not instantaneous. Uh, Hall replied, quote, right, so okay, because there are racing on on Sunday, they are going to be on it on Monday. I gave the other stuff today anyway, Hall said. Um, Fishman replied, this is a program. This is a program that Dubai Equine spent probably $2 million devising for their thoroughbreds, you know. It is part of a program that, uh, you know, there's other stuff too. So there's the implication. Dubai Equine is, of course, uh, Sheikh Mohammed's hospital. Um, Fishman added, this is is what they do for all their horses. And overall, they are very happy. Sheikh Mohammed said the best three years, you know, in the 30 years he has been racing and they are very happy. I'm sharing the stuff with you, but then again, that's for thoroughbreds. So we have to tweak something out because some of the stuff I design for standard breads, they don't work. So there's the implication and it is very serious Tom this is if you just go back to the quote Sheikh Mohammed said the best three years you know in 30 years he's been racing what do we take from this well considering Fishman is on trial for conspiring to violate medication or adulteration and misbranding laws this is um of the utmost seriousness. Um, obviously, Godolphin have been contacted to, the, to date. We have no response from them. And you would imagine there would be a call for an independent inquiry into Dubai Equine. These are legally obtained wiretaps. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a huge development in the Fishman case.
1: Where, where are we exactly, Jane, with um, Fishman specifically within his trial?
2: Well, the deliberations, uh, the jury actually started deliberations yesterday for all of 30 minutes. Day two of deliberations uh, is today. Uh, closing arguments, it was just noted a couple of quotes from, the, from closing arguments. Defence Attorney Morris Sakares, his closing argument was that uh, he submitted that Dr. Fishman was trying to wean horses off much more dangerous stuff and provide a safer alternative while adhering to his oath as a licensed vet to protect the welfare and safety of animals. In contrast, the prosecution, Andrew Adams, was quoted as saying he was a drug dealer, not a veterinarian. He's not a magician. He cannot make evidence disappear. So deliberations into this case continue today. And I can imagine... It'll have huge repercussions for the the wider uh, spectrum of the industry.
1: Right, to racing this weekend, of which, Jane, there is plenty of good stuff between Britain and Ireland. Um, First of all, let's start with Britain and with the feature at Sandown, the the Silly Isles, grade one over the 2.5. Charlie Deutsch is going for his first grade one. And I spoke to him late last night, actually. Um, asking him how the horse l'enpresse was and what might suit about this test
4: uh yeah he's done everything right um i rode him at exeter and i hadn't rid- race ridden him before so i wasn't um i was very open-minded wasn't exactly sure how he'd run but i knew he had a big big open stride and he'd schooled well so i thought i'd keep it straightforward and, and he impressed me that day um but um, he stayed on well, and um, in the end, he's done it quite well. But then um, it was more impressive the next day at Ascot. Um, I thought the way he travelled around the race and um, jumped, um, it felt like I was going very slow. And I'd say the others felt like they are going quick. And, um, and then Cheltenham, um, yeah, over the last three fences, when I really asked for an effort, um, and, uh, and he went away from the last. Um, yeah, it, it felt very... It just felt, um, you know, a bit easier for him than most others, really.
1: Yeah, I think what I found interesting was watching him. You, you could almost see him going through the gears. So there was that, yeah. you know, there was that moment. Obviously, you had to you had to ask him every now and again, but it was the ease with which he responded to you that that I thought was was massively impressive. So I, I guess, you know, you're, you're nowhere near the bottom of him, are you? Uh, no exactly um that's the thing you're always
4: um eeking out a bit more um it's just knowing where it stops really but um yeah you know, it's it's just a nice feeling when you know you've got another gear but um you wouldn't do anything in a rush but um, i think it's quite nice and mm. you take a bit of time to to get into his um
1: get into his stride do, do you think your boy j you he, he has to go forward or he wants to go forward or is he more versatile than that I think he's versatile
4: um he's just got a big open stride so you know you might as well use that and he jumps well so um mm. you might as well um get on with it really um but if, if they were going a strong gallop then um you know he, he, he would happily sit handy or whatever
1: Com- compare um your horse's run at ascot to cheltenham did, did you feel happier going left-handed with him or was he happier both ways
4: I, I didn't really think it made too much difference. He jumped a little bit left at Ascot, but I think some horses um, it can they can do that around Ascot. And it, um, you watch a lot of uh, racing, and
5: there be horses that normally are straight jumpers that jump left at Ascot for some reason.
1: I, I think, uh, cause if I can just just on that. Um... Uh, Evan Williams pointed this out about cool Cody who jumps to his right, but loves Cheltenham. Do you think sometimes we're too quick to say about a horse and I'm not talking about your horse in particular here, but just a more generic point. If they jump one way, it doesn't mean they have to go that way around necessarily. Do you think?
4: Yeah. um, Unless they really are losing tons of ground, they don't necessarily have to go that way. And, um, you know, a lot of courses, obviously every course is different, but some courses, you know, you've just got the bend and then the straight and, um, you know, you're not actually losing a huge amount of ground mm. at the States. Um you know, sometimes you've got to get to the right race. <laughs> but,
1: um, that yeah. That's a very good point. Does um does Lomprese feel like he he could be ready for three miles soon, or do you think he is, you know, this season, you know, two and a half, obviously or well, the you know, the two five for, for Sandown, but, but 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 that intermediate trip is spot on for him right now?
4: Um, it it seems spot on right now. See he's done all his winning over that trip, and, um, yeah, he, I'm sure he would get three miles as well, but, um, yeah, I would, I, I, yeah, we'll see how he gets on, really, um, we'll find out more on if he runs Saturday, and, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't be afraid to go three miles, but, mm. um, yeah, he, he runs through the line strongly,
1: so that's, that's it, really. Do you feel like you are due a, a grade one?
4: Uh, I don't know if I'm due one, but I'd, I'd love to go and get one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been second in the grade. Yeah, I was second in Ryanair once, and I thought I might be winning it. But um, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to tick it off anyway and get one. Um, it mean a huge amount has to it, me.
1: Has it frustrated you, Charlie? You haven't had one yet.
4: Um, I think you can't. I don't. Know, I always try not to. Um, you put it too much into ticking off the box because mm. you need the right horse to come along. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how well you ride if you know in those grade runs you need a top-class horse and um, you, you know you need a bit of luck. So um, yeah, you
1: just hope that you found one. And it's no surprise that you found one with, with Venetia or potentially found one with, with Venetia. Um, I think this season, almost more so than ever, your your partnership has, has really stood out. She has, well, we know she stood by you and she's an incredible supporter of yours and I, I take it it works the other way, Charlie. Uh, yes, definitely.
4: Um, and uh, I think, obviously, as uh, we've worked together over the years, you know how she likes things done and Um, she trusts you a bit more so you know the instructions become less and less and um, you know she lets me I know the horses so she very much um, lets me get on with it really and um, she knows kind of what to expect I think um, from the way I ride and I think it works well and you know as you have worked together for a longer time you can be more honest as well
1: Charlie Deutsch looking for his first um, grade one success then, Jane. It's been a bit of a, a roller coaster for him. Obviously um, he had his um, ban a, a few years back and, and he's come back and been strongly supported by Venetia Williams. That I tell you they've got a good team at the moment, haven't they?
2: They do. A really good quality season for them. Like it's not just numbers. Um, there has there has been some really good performances and Presse put himself at the top of that bracket when I thought he was brilliant in the Dipper, to be honest. I have a lot of respect for the glancing queen and he put her away 10 lengths comprehensively. I think he's one of uh, very few legitimate grade 1 novice chase chances for Team GB at at Cheltenham. and I would expect him to back that up um, in Sandown and the City Isles. Pictori is a highly rated horse. Adramel was very good over hurdles. Doesn't maybe seem to have replicated that over fences yet. But L'empresse is solid. Uh, he was very good at Ascot in December. Um, uh, I, I think he's a progressive horse. Venetia's having a tremendous season anyway, but I think the pair of them, Charlie Deutsch and Venetia, when you consider Venetia could have easily gone the way of of, of a different jockey, she has stood by her man and it has paid dividends because Charlie is very—he's very much regarded as a horseman. He rides deep and that's his style. Uh, and he leaves, he leaves nothing behind,
1: and I think she's uh, Venetia 's in search of her first grade one success um, since she won that race um, a few years back with Golden gold back in in, in two thousand and two so twenty years ago. Um, you talk about his um, his challenge going on to Cheltenham to long press they were he to come through this in him, him perhaps he won a, perhaps having one of the better chances from Great Britain um, if he lined up in a turn, as well. we, we might find out a bit more about those horses uh, from Ireland this weekend. We, we will with the, the grade one over there. How is that race shaping up, Jane?
2: Yeah, well, we will have final declarations um, for Saturday, of course, tomorrow and Sunday. Sunday's novice chase will be very telling with regard to the turners and m- many more novice chases over here. Because Gallup and Deschamps, despite only winning a beginner's chase at Christmas, was emerged the talking horse of Christmas uh, there was multiple grade ones run and yet we were all talking about a horse that had won a beginner's chase he meets Master McShee on Sunday in the labrook's Novice Chase over 2-5 and it looks like it's going to be a great a great match um, Galvin Deschamps was raised 151 over hurdles he was the Martin pipe winner of last year he was progressive through the season culminating in a good win at uh, Punchestown. but when he won his beginner's chase he looked like a completely different proposition and that's saying something for a horse rated 151 over hurdles Maston actually is a grade one winner coming in here his run to beat Farouk Dillon was certainly not let down by Farouk Dillon when he was second to Statler at Nace on Sunday Uh, throw into the mix you could have possibly Cappadano lining up Fury Road we obviously don't have final declarations for Leopardstown but expect the best of the best to line up uh, uh, expect the best of the best to be declared and hope they line mm-hmm. up, of course, because we have that little bit of a worry about ground. But um, do you do you
1: um, see the view perhaps that some might throw in there about de Sean, for example? But um, he, the race he won on his chase debut wasn't much of a race. Ain't, ain't that a shame? Couldn't even win a basic beginner's chase on his next start, Jane. It's a
2: legitimate. Argument, but are you taking into account the quality of the opposition or the manner in which he jumped and traveled and basically won his own race and the rest were nowhere?
1: I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate, I suppose. Yeah, you're (laughs) playing tricks.
2: No, it it was also the reaction of the connections because obviously, William Mullins has a lot of horses, he's a lot of good horses, and when he was interviewed, his first word was wow. He doesn't get carried away too often and while we were trying to keep our feet on the ground you're talking about a horse who has won a a grade one already and he's much bigger in the market than a horse that's won a beginner's chase
1: and and i think what is i know we're going down a turner's rabbit hole now but um i I think we had assumed because he won that punchestown grade one over three miles of the hurdles that this horse is always going to end up in the festival novice's chase but it is pretty clear that the cards are, are nearly turned over on the table. The, 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 well, the turn is, is a very realistic option. The, the Bob ollinger Galopin de match uh, matchup in that is still very possible, depending on what happens this weekend.
2: Are we not going to throw Brave Man's game into that equation as well?
1: Yeah, well, yes, we are. Um, well, I think Brave Man's game, having won the, the quarto star... Well, look, originally it was suggested that he wasn't going to go even to Cheltenham, but I think that there could be a rethink on that. So I guess much depends on what happens with Pick Dory this weekend.
2: Um, Yeah, it's it's all all shaping up. These races uh, will dictate final decisions and until they're run, I suppose, not all the cards are really on the table. But at the moment, it looks like um, we're going to go into this weekend Rather than focusing on Cheltenham, I'd like to focus on Leopardstown and, and hopefully everything goes right and these horses do run their races. But he, he just has this lofty reputation. Looks like he's improved immensely for chasing, which is, you know, it could be a bold statement or it could be a really silly statement to say that on the back of one run and a beginner's chase. But he, he looks incredibly exciting. Um, so he's won. Uh, I'll be watching Long Press with great interest, but I'll be watching him probably from my phone while standing in the grandstand at Leopardstown.
1: And um, we know you will be. We know a little bit more about the um, likely field for the uh, Paddy Power Irish Gold Cup as well. Um, Frodo, we, we know, is going to go that way. Manella Rindo looks certain to line up as well, Jay,
2: Isn't that such a relief? I was wondering what... They, there was very little talk about the reigning Gold Cup here. On. I just was a little bit worried that something maybe... You know, you, you don't hear a lot in conspiracy theories on your own... Inspector Clouseau In your mind Gets gets to Work overdrive But Manilindo Is going To Leopardstown. He's the reigning Gold Cup champ He's the horse Rated 175 But he needs To bounce back His last run Pulling up in the King George Too bad to be true It looks like There's going to be A small field For the Irish Gold Cup At the five day Entry stage There's only nine Left in it And I can't imagine they they will all run, Um, but we will have a legitimate challenger to keep Manila Indo honest, and that is Frodon. He is likely to have ideal conditions, left-handed track, not going to be heavy ground, as we know, uh, trained for the race. We were in Down Royal, and I remember remarking on multiple occasions that that is the only time this season Frodon will finish in front of Manila Indo will have already been proved wrong because he's finished in front of him in the King charge. Uh, but I, I just hope the reigning Gold Cup champ comes back, redeems himself and puts himself in a position whereby we have a realistic chance of defending the crown.
1: The other bit of news we should touch upon is that the Grand National entries are out.
2: Yes, um, we have 107 Grand National entries. Just, Just to remind you, Tom, that last year Ireland had... 10 of the first 11 finishers home so uh, we have a strong uh, we have a strong chance again this year look obviously the key horses to note are Manila times he's entered to retain his crown in an in in attempt to go back to back in the national tiger Roll. the horse that wants or hopes to emulate red rum well he needs an entry if he's going to do that and he has that would be a great story if Snow Leopard desperate to win the Grand National she's in there um, but of the ones that'll be really fancied in the market any second now, you know if he's anti-post favourite, but he did nothing to dispel his chances in last year's race. He's had a prep run, two prep runs even this year. He's entered for Ted Walsh, Easy's Land. People might be considering the cross country race for him. I think the move to John Joe O'Neill is significant with regard to the Grand National class cap in there for John Joe as well. Galvin. Going to the Gold Cup, could he go to the entry too? He's one of nineteen for Gordon Elliott in the in the Grand National and uh it's it's very much all Cheltenham fever, leopard sound fever, but the Grand National entries are definitely worth considering too.
1: Okay, it's Wednesday, which means it's time for our Hong
5: Kong updates with Jim McGrath. Kung Hei Fat Choi. To all Chinese listeners to this podcast, a Happy New Year. And those of you familiar with Hong Kong know that on the third day of the Chinese New Year, there's a big race meeting at Sha Tin. That's Thursday, tomorrow. And that tradition has been followed for well over 130 years. Though back then, Happy Valley was where punters gathered for the first race meeting of the New Year, all feeling lucky, of course. There are 11 races on a cracking card at Sha Tin to welcome in the year of the Tiger. And I reckon we might see a true Hong Kong derby prospect, which I'll come to in due course. Do you remember back in 2013 when it was uh, a great year for milers in the UK? The great clash of Toronado and Dawn Approach, with Toronado getting the better of his Godolphin-owned rival in the Sussex Stakes at Goodwood. Well, Toronado has been at stud for a while now. He's been shuttling these days between France and Australia. And while Group 1 winners have not been plentiful, he's been getting some handy horses emerging in Hong Kong. They come mostly from his Aussie crops. And that leads me nicely back to the Tin card, where Signor Toba, a four-year-old son of Toronado, is strongly fancied to take Race 11 which is a Class 2 handicap over nine furlongs. I've no doubt that Casper Founds is very much eyeing the Hong Kong derby for Signor Toba, who's already on the sixth rung of derby aspirants in local ratings. He's going the right way, having won nicely last time, and despite going up six pound in the handicap, he'll take a power of beating once again. The magic man, Marrera, is aboard, of course. Signor Toba finished second in a Queensland derby for Chris Waller before his sale to Hong Kong Connections. And the Queensland Derby has been a fine testing ground for Hong Kong classic types. So, make it race 11, number 4, Senior Toba, taking him at a tote swinger with number 1, Beluga, who's in great form. The feature race is the Chinese New Year Cup, a Class 1 handicap, and here I think it'll be another son of Toranada who can win. And I refer to the john Size trained Lucky Express, who'll have the services of Zach Purton. So race four, number two, Lucky Express, the first of 11 races at Chartin tomorrow is scheduled for 4.30am UK time. Set your alarms now.
1: Right, Jane, you can send us home with a tip.
2: Well, I'm going to Exeter, Tom, and I'm going with Chavez or Chavez, whatever pronunciation is correct for the Malcolm Denmark Yates horse. He was a winner of a Chepstow for last year. For Paul Nichols and Harry Cobden, and I hope he can get off the mark over hurdles in the 410 today at Exeter.
1: Jane, thank you very much. Say hello to Master mcshay for us. That's where you're off to, right?
2: I'm off to the beach down in Dungarvan to film what is probably the best story in national hunt racing uh, at the moment. Master McShee will meet Gallopin Deschamps on Sunday, but he's going to the beach today.
1: Love it. Enjoy your time at the beach and um, wrap up warm, no doubt. Jane Mangan, thank you very much indeed. Um, I'll be back for my last day on the pod for this week tomorrow and Nick will see you out the week on Friday. Bye for now.
0: You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily brought to you in association with FitzDares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.